Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. Uh, now, do you feel bad for the people that did spend money and go to this? <laughs> let me guess. Let me guess the answer. You don't feel too bad about it. I do not. If you had thousands of dollars to go on a trip to see Blink-182, uh, <laughs> that's on you. That is Darwinism at its finest. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Last Laugh. My name is Matt Wilstein, and I'm a senior writer at The Daily Beast, and that was today's guest Ron Funches in a clip from Conan that ended up being part of Netflix's Firefest documentary. We'll get into that and a lot more in my conversation with Ron, who earlier this year released Giggle Fit, his first ever hour-long special on Comedy Central. It's an aptly titled special for a comic known for his infectious laugh, something you will hear plenty of on today's show. Ron, who recently lost over 140 pounds, came straight from the gym to record this episode with me before heading to a session for the animated Netflix series Trolls. Doing all of that in one day is something he said he could never have done when he weighed up to 360 pounds. Now he's busier than ever with stand-up, voice work, and a new comic game show he just sold that he hopes will pick up where Comedy Central's At Midnight left off. We talked about those projects and a lot more, including why he turned down an offer from Netflix in favor of Comedy Central and why he has never been a fan of Louis C.K., so let's get right to it. This is The Last Laugh with today's guest, Ron Funches. Well, thank you for, for coming out. Uh, I really loved your, your special Giggle Fit, which came out earlier this year. But I think the, the most recent thing I saw you in was the Firefest documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you, how did you find out that you were, that you were in that? Um, when a friend of mine, um, comedian Billy Wayne Davis, um, he just texted me and it was like have you seen this trailer for this for this documentary <laughs> and i was like no he's like well you're you're in it and you're getting a big <laughs> laugh in it and i watched it and then i was like oh that's cool especially when it started coming out and yeah. people with so many people were watching it and then i called my manager and i was like do i get money for this and she was like no it's fair use and i was like god damn that festival <laughs> just fucking everybody over yeah, fair use. That's a killer. It is a killer. <laughs> I mean, you're, yeah, your jokes, your joke from Conan was uh, was in the documentary, and it really kind of sums up why why people were so gleeful when the uh, when the Firefest went up in flames. Uh, what were you were, were you very aware of that whole thing when it was kind of going down? Or? I wasn't that aware of it, but I mean, you know, a lot of people were tweeting about it, and it is it's just easy to make fun of. Um, it's hard, not necessarily rich people, because I don't have a hatred towards rich people. Mm-hmm. I used to, but I get, you know, the more money I make. It's <laughs> 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 it hard. Um, and also I learned that that's kind of like a way that we are taught to like, be like, oh, separate ourselves from money, you know? And yeah. I'm, so I learned to do that. But I think everyone has this hatred for people who have like unearned money and have all this free time and this ability to like just jet off to some island to watch 
watch bands that haven't been popular for the last 10 years, <laughs> then it's like, yeah, you were dumb. You deserved this to happen to you. This was a trap set by Darwin and it should you should die. And that, <laughs> so I don't think people have an issue with that. I Man, I don't want people to die. That's what the actual the documentary made me upset because then I could see the actual people who were really hurt by it. Like yeah. the, the, the actual people who live in the Bahamas and, and, and that part really makes you upset. Yeah, that was something we didn't hear about at the time as much, and then kind of the documentary helped to bring that to light a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so I do want to talk about your special, uh, Giggle Fit, which is, um, I think, perhaps the, the purest example yet of the kind of positive uh, comedy style that you've, uh, that you've been working on for a while now. Thank you. Um, what, are the, what are the challenges of that approach? Because I know you, you've talked about wanting to keep your comedy positive, um, and a lot of comedy isn't necessarily positive. So how do you, how do you go about that? Um, it just takes longer. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think if, if anything, it's easier, it's easier to tear down than it is to create. Right. You mm-hmm. know, so, um, it's kind of easier to mock something that already exists and tell people why that sucks. And it's harder to be like, here's this thing I'm building and I want to share it with you. Or here's a negative situation I went through, but here's the positive spin on that. But I think that's, that's um, the best parts of life in general. And it's just kind of what I enjoy, especially as far as like putting out energy. You know, if I'm saying the same things two times a night on shows, I want to be saying positive things. I don't want to be saying negative things. And I always, um, there were a couple of comics when I first started that, would go out there and they'd be so angry and doing like all this yelly political comedy and then they'd get off stage and they'd just be like, huh, regular guy. <laughs> and and that always struck me as so phony, you know? Like, I don't want to have to manufacture this anger. Yeah, you, you want have. your onstage uh, persona to be as close to your offstage persona, would you say? Yeah, you know, you know, to me, to even though, you know, being that happy and that positive is even a, a little a bit of a stretch sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, because you're not always feeling that way. But I try to be honest and, and I just try to be myself. And that's where I'm kind of learning now is to honor those feelings when I'm not feeling as positive. And if I want to say something a little bit um a little bit different or a little bit challenging that I should just go ahead and say it um, because I don't because I'm still growing as a comedian. I don't know what I you know I don't know what my what will be, but um, I do know that I like to be positive and I just don't like it. It's easy and it's lazy to me to just kind of tear tear down, especially using old stereotypes. If you're gonna tear down people, tear down big people. But to me, to go back and just do the same old jokes about like um, whether it's different races or transgender or or bathroom jokes and to me it's just like do you really care like (laughs) yeah do you really care or did you just hear a bunch of other people saying jokes like that so you're like okay this is what people are talking about i'll do a joke about it too but if you don't care why why say it all the time and to me i don't care about what bathroom a person uses i don't care about um I don't care about that stuff. I just care about. That's why a lot of my comic comedy is personal because I mostly just care about me and my family. Yeah, I mean, what are what are the challenges of that too? I mean, making comedy about yourself and and putting out this really personal comedy, but also you know keeping some part of your life private. Do you do you struggle with that at all in terms of what to share, what not to share? I struggle with it, but it's usually just fine as a rule of thumb that the things that I'm most embarrassed about are the things that people relate to. So. At some point, you usually just have to let it go, and I had to um, 
kind of have an agreement with my family that they know they're going to be talked about and they know they're going to um that i just always try to do it with love i never want to be that type of person that old school like you know that old louis comedy where people were like oh my daughters and my wife and i hate them and it's just like we might have some issues and i'll bring up those issues but whenever i talk about anyone whether it's my mom my son my girlfriend whatever i try to um make sure that it comes from this place of love that i show that i love them and then i can then you can you know mock them relentlessly yeah i mean you do call your your own mother racist in your in your special she so. is uh, did, did you hear from her after that? Uh, did did you have a no. conversation with her about that? She knew about it. I mean, she had to sign a waiver. <laughs> she did? <laughs> yeah. That's, that she would not sue me nor Comedy Central for... for um... <laughs> putting her out the closet as a racist. <laughs> um, she didn't like how heavy I hit on it. And if I... <laughs> if I were to go back, I probably would have... Uh lightened it a little just a tad because uh, she's not like you know i don't want people thinking my mom's like just some like uh clan i guess black clan member uh but black black clansman yeah she's not a black clansman <laughs> she's a black clans woman uh, <laughs> but my mom just grew up at a time where um I guess it's weird. Similar to now, <laughs> yeah. She just grew up with a lot of division, you know, and 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 she just grew up in a time where it was just you kind of stay amongst your own. And so for me, especially when I moved out to Oregon and stuff, and and started dating more white girls and stuff, it was something she had to learn to deal with. So mm-hmm. it was something that I bring up in my comedy. Um, and that's I mean, as long as I'm honest is really what I try to do. I don't want her ever. If, if my mom didn't say those things, I wouldn't bring it up. Right, know? right. Um, you also do tell a lot of jokes in your act about your son who has autism. Um, when did you sort of start making jokes about about that, and and how do you try to strike the right balance so that it never feels like you're, you know, making fun of him? It's always done done with love, like you said. Um, I mean, I I'd say. He was diagnosed with com- with autism before I started comedy, and I maybe started talking about it uh, about two years in, and mm-hmm. it was, um, you know, I was apprehensive at first just because I didn't want people to think I was making fun of my son, and I didn't want people to make fun of my son, and but at some point I had to realize that this was a big part of my life, and if I was going to write personal material that I'd have to write about that because that's a big deal and it doesn't define him it doesn't make him who he is it's just a part of his life part of my life so we talk about it and a lot of people ask me what it's like to raise a child with autism which is very difficult to describe it's a large spectrum means a lot of things i can only tell you how it affects my son in particular means he gets overstimulated very easily he'd prefer if he wear little earplugs or earmuffs when he's out in public he has little texture issues. He doesn't want to touch or eat certain things ever. He has little vocabulary issues as well. Again, he's 15. He, he, he can take in everything you're saying to him. He's a very bright, bright boy, but he speaks in mostly like little catchphrases like, uh, take that or, uh, eat shit, daddy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's the autism talking. <laughs> 
the initial reaction was pretty good and and but you know sometimes you get some in, insensitive people or are super sensitive people who are like i don't think you should be talking about that and, mm-hmm. but it was never anyone that really had any firsthand experience it was always like i remember some pediatrician was just like i don't like how you talk about this and i was just like well that's my actual son so i'm gonna do it you don't even really work in that field you don't work you know with special needs children you work with all children you don't have a say in this mm-hmm. and it, when i talked to people who have children with autism or i talked to i talked to a gentleman um yesterday who who is, works in, in acting and entertainment and he he has asperger's and he talked about how me just talking about it meant a lot to him and just kind of destigmatizing it and and um representation you know people like to be seen and people like to not be talked down to and not be treated as like some burden on society or some special needs case that needs to be pitied like he's my son he is silly he has he does weird things he has autism and he was did weird silly things when he's a kid and now it's fun because i'm finding i'm trying to write new things about like raising a teenager with autism yeah. and that's how different that is and how weird of a guy he is <laughs> i told him to take out the trash yesterday and he was like after price is right and it's like what 16 <laughs> year old it's like i'll get to it after, <laughs> after the price is right is over hey he knows what he likes he does know what he likes um i mean yeah he's he's old enough now to to see your comedy and to to you know see you uh telling these jokes about him has he watched it does he have any uh have you heard anything from him about how he feels about it Mm, he doesn't watch my comedy he watches um some like cartoons things that i do of that nature um he watched when i was on undateable he really liked that show and that made me happy but as far as stand-up he's not he's just he's like any kid you know anytime your parents are doing something it's not cool. Yeah. So to him, stand up is just a thing that old dumb people do, you know? So he's just like I remember one time he was like he was just doing an impression of me and he just grabbed a microphone I had around and he just goes, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's more what what makes him happy is like when I come home from Sunday and I take him to like a retro game store and we buy old old video games or take him to a movie or that i'm able to do things like he loves he loves family guy his entire room is covered in family guy stuff he's he's usually dressed in family guy from head to toe somehow and um i was able i knew a writer there and i just was able to take him to a table read and and like those type of things like I can see, like, he's like, oh, okay, you're cool. But, like, as far as, like, my comedy or me talking about him, he doesn't he doesn't care about that. He's too busy watching, you know, people play video games on YouTube. So some people, I, some fans I saw, you know, online and stuff were kind of making a big deal about your special being on Comedy Central as opposed to Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I know that's something you, you've talked about a little bit. Um, is it true that you that you turned down uh, Netflix for to do the, the special on Comedy Central instead? I turned down a half hour. They didn't offer me an mm. hour. Yeah. So no. that was kind of the big uh, sticking point was was they wanted they were they were going to give you a half hour and, mm-hmm. and you wanted to do an hour. Mm-hmm. They and, said they didn't see me as an hour comedian at that time. Oh wow! And I firmly disagreed. Yeah. So that was pretty much the end of that conversation. <laughs> uh, they tried to convince me to do the half hour to try to tell me, and that was the thing. Um, I assume maybe you get com- a lot of comedians that will listen to this, but that's one thing I I don't mind 
games or business or telling me or, or even telling me you don't think I'm an hour comedian. That's your opinion. I have a different opinion. Mm-hmm. What I didn't enjoy was them trying to sell me on a half hour, was them trying to sell me on like that they are now telling me what comedy is, that right. people don't watch hours anymore, that people don't do these things anymore. And I'm like, well, then why are you making them? Then why are you? Why are the big contracts you give and going out to the people with hours? Yeah, they make plenty of hours. They make them, so somebody's watching them, and then they're like, "Oh, they get more engagement with these half hours because they're quicker to get into." And I go, "That how does that make any sense? You drop six at a time. That's three hours of comedy. Mm. Yeah, so unless I'm, it's what was going to be part of one of those series. Yeah. Of, yeah. So unless I'm number one, or the last one. Yeah. How does that help me? You know, and they could never answer those questions to me. And to me. If you just were honest to me and go like, hey, maybe in a couple of years or maybe this. But they were never honest with me. They just mm-hmm. tried to sell me and tell me what comedy is. And I go, I'm the comedian. Yeah. I tell you what comedy is. <laughs> Executives don't tell me what comedy is. I tell you. And I don't like monopolies of any kind. And th- that's the hardest thing. The thing I really had to fight against was like th- they have the perception. They are the, the, the coke. You know, yeah. so when you hear a special, people automatically assume a Netflix special, even though my special is just as easy to get. It's on anything you want, iTunes, mm-hmm. Amazon, whatever. You just have to pay five bucks. You yeah. know, that's and, a big difference. I mean, but that, that that does make a difference to a lot of people. And they and presumably more people would have seen the half hour oh, on Netflix than see sure. the hour. So that's also for a sure. consideration. So is that something you you thought about or? Do you, oh, absolutely. But to me, that's no difference than. Some like anyone, anytime any promoter has ever come at me in that way, that's always been a red flag, you know. Mm -hmm. Do it for exposure, you know. I don't care. There's a thing, Roy Roy Wood, he was really helpful with with me thinking about it because he was like, Yeah, you get a bigger footprint with Netflix, but that only helps you if you are planning on extensively touring overseas. Mm -hmm. Are you planning on extensively touring overseas? If not, then what difference does it make for you? You yeah. know, eventually people will find your stuff no matter what, as long as you're good. I don't plan on quitting. I don't need to. And to me, that's that, that's that carrot. They always dangle of like, oh, you could blow up. You could blow up like, um, mm. you know, Ali Wong or you can blow up. You know, it's just like Ali didn't blow up overnight. She's been doing it for, for, for like almost 20 years, mm. you know. Like, nobody blows up overnight. I don't need my first special to make me blow up. I need my first special to be seen. And I, as a lover of comedy and as a person that respects comedy, I wanted to put out an hour. I had an hour of material. I had um, a full meal of stories. I didn't want to break it into a half. That That didn't mean anything to me. And the fact that Comedy Central you know, offer me substantially more money to do the hour than I would have done the half hour for, to me, no brainer. No yeah. brainer at all. To always. My son does not eat exposure. <laughs> Coming up after the break, Ron funches on the newfound confidence he gained after losing more than 140 pounds. You've been doing comedy for, for quite a while now. And so, I mean, how, how long have you been doing it? And, and how do you feel like your, your act has kind of evolved uh, over that time? Um, it'll be 13 years in October. Um, and... I mean, it's evolved as my life has evolved, you know. It used to be a lot shyer, um, a lot less confident, just because also I was living less confident and I was not healthy and I wasn't living well. And as kind of I've gotten that a little bit under control, my comedy is a little bit more energetic now, a little, a little happier. 
um, a little, definitely much more confident. I would say that's the biggest difference in my comedy is like um, a shift between like non-confident at all and then a fake confidence and then now I'm having this more like the same thing like the Comedy Central or Netflix thing. It's just like no ill will. I'm not over here being like I'm the best. You need to know me. You are making mistakes. It's just like you are a business. I am a person. I am also have a business but we, we just disagree and that's fine but I respect myself and I have confidence in myself enough to just go another way. I don't need to go the same way that other people are going ever. To me, that's all again a red flag. Mm-hmm. Everybody's doing one thing. I want to go the other way because I'm going to be a b- bigger deal another way, and it, it really worked out. Because then with Comedy Central, I was their highest rated special in like two years, and by a fucking shit ton. Yeah. So you know that's a bigger deal, and that makes me a bigger commodity. Commodity, and then I'm not with with um, Netflix. You know. You do the half hour, you're still under contract with them for them to refuse if they want to do another special with you or not. I go in, I do my hour special, show my worth, and then I'm a free agent again. That's a better position to me. Yeah. Um, You mentioned, uh, you know, confidence and and losing weight. So you famously lost, you know, uh, I think 140 pounds, something like that over the past year or so. How much do you think that that uh, is is tied to the the renewed confidence or the sense of real confidence in your in your act? I mean, a lot of it is. It's but it's just I don't really like to tie it to weight. It's more just like health. You know, I wasn't really healthy. My knees weren't doing well, and um, not breathing well. Mm-hmm. I was just not a healthy person, and now. I'm just able to work more, do more things. I, you know, I just come here from a workout and headed from here to a voiceover. And doing those things when I was not active and I was not eating healthy and I was um, just extremely overweight at the time, those were difficult for me. Like, one of those things was enough for the day for me, mm-hmm. you know? And now I'm able to go do those things and, and take a little nap and do my show at night and it doesn't kill me. And that's been the biggest biggest difference is just i am able to be more efficient um i'm not just passing out i can do two shows a night and it doesn't destroy me Mm -hmm. and to me that just you know that just makes sense as a business person so that if i want to make more money i have to be more efficient you know so um that's good and then just starting my podcast and getting people um interested in seeing how they re- relate to it and how how much I can inspire people in some ways it, it's it kind of like it's like a battery that recharges me like anytime someone is like oh man like seeing that and seeing how you change your life around really helped me out makes me go oh fuck I was just about to eat a cookie so I guess now I can't because I can't <laughs> let you down you know and that it doesn't feel like a pressure it just makes it just keeps me on the straight and narrow going like oh I am I am doing this for more than me. I'm doing this for my son. I'm doing this for the people around me. And I'm doing this for the people who, who I, you know, who I never even meet who are like, oh, man, I saw you before and now I've seen you now. And knowing that you can do that motivates me. And that makes me so happy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there's this cliche of the overweight comedian who, who dies young, you know, thinking about people like Chris Farley or Patrice O'Neill. Was that something that was on your mind when you when you really set out to um to to get healthier? Yeah, most definitely. Patrice, in particular, was a um, wake up call, just in the fact that um, 
when I started getting a little bit of success from Undateable and, and my stand-up getting a little bit more known, it was kind of this thing of like, oh, I, I don't want to put in all this work of traveling to open mics, riding around in Greyhound buses, riding around in Spirit Airlines, sleeping in these shitty hotels with three other people and, and do all that stuff. And then when it finally something starts to break... I can't capitalize on it because of my health. That doesn't make sense. You know, why put in all that work and then not be able to reap the rewards? Mm -hmm. So it became a big part of me of like, I got, I, the more, um, the healthier I become, unless I get hit by a plane or a bus or something, it's just going to lengthen my life, which gives me more opportunities. And that's all I really want is more chances. Mm -hmm. You know, I fail all the time. I'm pitching shows around town and, and all the time, you know, that that's always frustrating because especially again, like with Comedy Central, they're like, oh, we love you. We love you. Thank you for the special. We love you. We loved you on that midnight. Bring us an idea. Here's an idea. Oh, that doesn't work for us. Here's another idea. That doesn't work for us. But keep bringing us ideas, you know, mm -hmm. and it just gets frustrating. But you have to just relax and I just keep doing my stand up and I'm just like, OK, something will work or I will prove to them that they are wrong because I've proved to them that they were wrong before. So I will just have to stay focused and, and relax and really just in, enjoy comedy and enjoy life because it can go away so quickly. And that's, you know, man, the, the best part of this job is the fact that I get to um, I get to be free. Mm -hmm. First of all, that's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing and rare. And I'm grateful for that all the time that I can say no to things if I want. If I didn't want to show up here today, I didn't have to. You <laughs> well, know? thank you for uh, showing up. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I love being free and I love that I get to spend my time and I get to know all these unique individuals, all these unique minds, all these people who really make me happy and make me laugh and make me think. And, and I got to learn I'm learning to be less competitive with them and look at them as like my enemies and look at them as just these wells of inspiration of like, whoa, man, that's what's capable. You mm -hmm. know, when I see something crazy or see someone's set that I, I'm like, oh, man, how could, why didn't I think of that? It becomes less like, oh, I suck and more like, oh, man, that's what's possible. Mm -hmm. And I like that a lot. Um, I love the the material in the special about uh, losing the weight, um, especially you know things like uh, people saying that you were more fun before uh, <laughs> before you did. Um, do you think that there's a do you think that there's truth to that at all, or do you think that it's uh, <laughs> do you think it's uh, just kind of BS that when people say that? I mean, there's some truth to it. it depends on what you think fun is. You know, <laughs> if you think fun is like. Going out and getting pizza at 2 a.m., which is fun sometimes. I miss those days. But, yeah, I, I'm not fun anymore because I can't do those things. Mm -hmm. But I am more fun in the fact that I just get to, yeah, no, I'm less fun. <laughs> 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 now I think about it in general. I'm just less fun because I work. I make my friends work. It's Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's more fun for me because now that I'm getting more in shape, I get to take my out-of-shape friends on the road and make them work out with me. And then I love it because they get so mad. <laughs> but it's like you're featuring for me, so there's no way you're going to turn. You're not going to say no. Yeah. So that's fun. Uh, <laughs> but... I think it's just like in anything there's um there's kind of like these fake definitions for a lot of things of like what what fun is and what work is and like um to me you just got to kind of re- redefine those things for yourself as you get older and what do those things mean for you you know work to me you know when I was in my 20s I was like oh this is like pushing these carts up this hill, being this cashier, this isn't really work because I'm not learning anything. I'm not learning a craft. I'm not getting better. Mm -hmm. I'm just here, you know? And so I had to learn to be like, okay, you know, I like writing. That's work because that I can feel the change in. I can see myself get better. You know, it might be little by little, stand up or working out, whatever. Mm -hmm. The changes might be slow, but I can see it. And so I know that's where I need to focus. That's where the real work is. And fun now is more like, oh, I like to take my mom traveling. I like to take my son to video game stores. I like to take my girlfriend traveling as well or just, you know, hang out and just watch reality shows from canada and like that's <laughs> fun you know it's not fun it used to be i think it's more chasing these addictions of like oh what fun is is like i go out and do a set then i eat horrible food then i hit on these girls that i don't even care about and then maybe i sleep one of them with one of them and then i gotta hide my wallet and then <laughs> i got never call them again and they're upset you know that's not fun yeah, that that's that stressful fun, yeah you know, much more fun to just like, oh, I got my girlfriend. She loves me and, and I love her and we'll hang out. And then other than, if I'm on the road, I'll play a bunch of PlayStation with my friends. Like, that's fun, especially at being in my mid-30s. The fact that I spend most of my time talking shit or writing or just playing Japanese video games. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, you also joke in the special about how you're you're offended when people say they're inspired by your story. Uh <laughs> Have there been a lot of examples of people kind of coming up to you and saying that they that they're inspired by you? And what is a uh, yeah? How do you how do you receive that now? I receive it much better now because it's usually more genuine now, and it's um just people being like, "I'm proud of you." But before, I kind of took it as like because I was usually just talking about people who I knew, you mm-hmm. know, and and it was always to me them going like, "Oh man." You were my barometer of what fat is, and now you are not as fat, you are less fat than I am, so I must adjust, you know. And yeah. that's what it that was the fuck you mm-hmm. of like, oh, because you always looked at me a certain way. That's what you saw, and so now things have changed. You're like, oh, I got to get my shit together, and mm-hmm. it's like, no, you do whatever you want to do, but um. I do like it just because I was lost and I, I wanted to lose weight and I was frustrated and I wanted to be healthy, but I never had the tools. I just never grew up in a household that, that was um, really um, 
put on us or, or, or you know drilled into us and i and just you know america in general which is really a lot of value meals and taught you know we're not taught a lot of moderation and self-restraint and and i really just needed to get those tools and once i got my trainer and started seeing things and got my diet together um i understand how hard it is so you know that's the thing that i always get is is like I'm I'm the perfect person. Sure, be inspired by me because I do know how hard it is. I want to eat candy all the time, mm-hmm. all the time, right now. <laughs> you know, so I yeah. understand the struggle. I'm still doing it now. That's part of it. Like it was shutting off my mind and just doing it. And now I have to go back in and learn to fix my mind and fix like why do I act this way? Why do I have these addictions and try mm-hmm. to um. I guess you can't really cure them as much, but at least I can try to put them in more positive areas. Yeah. I'm curious. I don't know if you've seen it, but I'm curious what you think of a show like um, this new show Shrill on Hulu Mm -hmm. uh, with A.D. Bryant um, that really kind of takes the position that, you know, it's reclaiming fatness, not framing it as something that, you know, you need to that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you I don't know if you've seen it, but do you have any sort of thoughts on that? On that idea, that I that haven't concept. seen it yet. Um, my girlfriend started it without me, so who knows if I'll ever see it? Yeah. Um, but I know, I know Lindy. I know Lindy for a long time because yeah. she, she was uh, um, writing articles in Seattle. Yeah, West. yeah she came to a show. Then her husband. I know her way, and I'm very proud of her. Um, and I, to me, like that is a story that needs to be told because it's more about treating people as humans no matter what and treating and not because you know we have that in so many ways whether you're you're overweight or you're black or you're a pothead or whatever you have all these like stereotypes that are put upon you and and they shouldn't be because they're not often true like to me again that's why i try to avoid it about weight and just avoid about health i was not healthy you could Mm -hmm. look a picture of me and go you're not healthy yeah you know i'm still a large man i'm not a tiny person but i am much more healthy now so i i focus more on on that i don't um i never want to be a person that's like yeah, you can be 400 pounds and that's like, that's cool and, and you, you go girl or go mm-hmm. guy or whatever, you know? But but also, I don't give a shit. <laughs> that's yeah. your life. Yeah. But I'm not going to spread that message of that, that that's healthy. But I like, I don't think that's her message. Mm-hmm. You know, I think her message is that I am a real human being like anybody else and I deserve to be treated with the same respect. And that I 100% agree with. Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, I mean, I, I know you still uh, smoke a lot of weed. Did you, mm-hmm. d- is that a, is that a challenge? Did you associate weed with food or, or how? Yeah. Yeah. It is a challenge, but it's just, again, just relearning. I associate so many things with food. I had to relearn to go to movie theaters. Mm-hmm. I had to relearn yeah. to go to baseball games or basketball games, mm-hmm. you know, that I could sit there and not gorge out, you mm-hmm. know? That was one of the things is figuring out that I don't like football. Yeah. I thought I liked football. <laughs> I just like eating chicken wings on afternoon and passing out. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about football too. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, Ron Funches explains why he thought Louis C.K. was a piece of shit long before he admitted to sexual misconduct. So uh, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned uh, Louis C.K. as an example of a, a comic who's more uh, is a little 
has been a little angrier, and I think especially lately you could say that. And I, I, I know you talked about this a little bit on uh, on TMZ, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. after his after his set leaked with the jokes about the Parkland uh, kids. Um, and you said in that that you were never a fan of his, and I feel like you don't hear that from from comics that much. So I was, I was curious, what was your what was your you know relationship to his comedy when you were you know starting out or or well, becoming you know a bigger comic? If you, I mean, I never really talked about it, but if you really look at my comedy, a lot of things that I was writing, and a lot of things, the way that I write when I go like, oh, I want to talk about positive things, I want to be nice, I want to be things, they were. A, direct reaction to the fact that when I first started when I was like 19, 20 when I was thinking about starting the type of comedy that was very popular was his type of comedy was this shock humor, this negative humor and I just never related to it I mm-hmm. never enjoyed it I could, to me I always saw behind it and I was like you're not joking you're just mm-hmm. a piece of shit you're just a mean person that's a mean person who says these things about his daughters who says these things about his wife these are mean things you're saying. And I never liked it. And I never was into it. And to me, personally, my personal issue was that I was, um, to me, I was always like, it seems like he's just like, he sits and takes a notebook and goes, how can I say nigger? And then it goes backwards from there. <laughs> you know? He's like, oh, I want to say nigger. How can I say it so that people won't get mad at me? Yeah. Well, there there was that clip that, that resurfaced uh, not too long ago with him and, and Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld and Ricky Gervais. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. White people are rich. They're just rich forever and ever. Even their kids are rich. Yeah. But when a black guy gets rich, it's count down to when he's poor again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the blackest white guy I well, fucking know. And, I'm, and then all the, the negative things we think about black people, this fucker. You're saying I'm a nigger. Yes, you are the niggerest... Fucking white man. Um, so that kind of that kind of confirms your uh, your suspicion a little bit. What do you think of that uh, that clip where he where he says the n word and Chris Rock kind of gives him permission? Uh, I mean, to me, that's like that's comedians in general. That's just a different life. Um, I don't, you know, you <laughs> you shouldn't show that to public. <laughs> comedians are weird. <laughs> they like shouldn't that. put that on TV. Yeah, but it to me the it's not him saying it. It's that him going like, um, him saying that we're the type of me and Rick. Ricky will say it on stage, and like, and Chris will, you know, and then he goes, me and Chris, we're the type of guys who say it in private. Mm. You know, and to me that was the joke. Yeah. That was the real insight of lets you know of who this guy is. Where it's just like he's not, he's not joking. This is he, he's he's happy that you're okay with his shock, but he's not joking. This is what he thinks, and it's like, to me, that's that's the crazy part with all these things, whether it's him, Michael Jackson, whatever. It's just like people act shocked because it's put in their face, but it's not like there weren't all these clues. Like, right? It's with Louis, especially. It's like people are like, oh, he's changed now, and he's you know doing these kind of alt-right kind of jokes but i wonder uh, there's some people who think and it sounds like you might that he hasn't changed that our, it's just our perception of him has changed because of what he did and you know and all the you know sexual misconduct stuff and and now coming out and and saying these these jokes that people are finding offensive whereas maybe he was saying stuff like that all along and and we just kind of gave it a pass yeah well we all know creepy people who say creepy stuff in fun ways and we're like oh that's just them but then if you saw them at their house being creepy as fuck then you really got to look at yourself of why are Mm -hmm. you friends with them you know that's pretty much what happened yeah yeah 
Um, so you uh, you launched your own podcast uh, not uh, too long ago, Getting Better with Ron Funches. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you decide that you wanted to start a podcast, and what what is having that outlet uh, meant for you? Well, sorry, I thought you would talk longer so uh, I could get my bites. <laughs> I'll done. talk longer. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean it's it's a it's a great podcast, and it's um. And it uh, uh, it's very uh, it's very loose, and I feel it gives us a lot of uh, good insight into your uh, into your life, and in a way that even your comedy doesn't. Good Was job! Good? Yeah, I talked talk for longer. <laughs> well, I started the podcast mostly for two reasons. Um, again, the Netflix thing, because <laughs> I um, when I realized that my um, special wasn't going to be streaming and that I was going to have to really promote it a lot. I was like, oh, I need a home base where I can promote mm. my special a lot. Yeah. So um, thus I made a podcast. And then the second part about it was that, oh, well, I guess it's got three parts. Second part was a lot of the weight loss stuff and I kept getting all these emails and DMs and I used to respond to everyone individually. And, and then it was getting to be too many. And so I was like, oh, I just want, let's just talk about it. Let's just talk about my podcast. It's a constant journey for me anyway. So we just do that. You know, I bring up my health, bring up my weight, bring up whatever I'm working out and doing that week. Or if I fucked up and ate a bunch of cookies and gained five pounds, we talk about that too, you know? And then a big part about it was that um, I noticed a shift with my Twitter and and the way that people were responding to me, the more... um, television shows and the more successful I was becoming because it used to be because everybody's always and then when people knew my story they were like oh he's poor and he's got a kid and his kid's got a disability we're rooting for him we're rooting for him but then I get a couple things and these people don't know and then I say something and I'm like oh man so excited you know that I was able to do this or I lost this weight and they're like oh yeah of course you could do it you're on television you're rich and it's just like no you don't know <laughs> you don't know yeah. like and so to me it becomes this thing of like okay a lot of times people see success and money is like this wall this barrier between them and other people and i i had noticed from the my friends who had watched them start to succeed and get better and and just people who i look up to that like it's not the case it's this constant grind of, and, and this this so people trying to struggle to get toward this source of talent and just get better and there's no like wall of like oh um, yeah you can do it and you can't you know it's just like all these people struggling 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 until they break something and i wanted to talk to my friends about that especially while i'm in the middle of that you know mm-hmm. i'm trying to make things i'm getting told no all the time and i want to talk to people who went through that so that i know when i get frustrated that i can get through it and then if i can talk to them about that and it helps me and then it helps other people i think that's a good service because to me there's just too many people who always are like nah you can't do that you can't do that because they never did it you know I, when you talk to somebody who's done something they're quick to tell you oh fuck yeah you could do it because i'm not a genius i'm a regular person idiot and if i could figure it out you know, my path's not going to be the same as your path, but you can figure it out. And so that's pretty much why the podcast exists is so that we can all get better together. Um, you, I did see you recently uh, tweet that you sold a, a TV project. Is there anything you can uh, can share about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I saw a, a game show. Um, it's just about being nice. <laughs> and, and it's going to be funny. 
hopefully it will fill the space that at, at midnight has emptied as far as introducing people to new comedians and comedians being able to showcase their skills without burning their material and, and things like that. Um, so we sold the idea. We still got to make a pilot. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Hopefully they'll like it. And is it, is it also with Comedy Central? Or? No, they passed on it. Mm. <laughs> you can't, can't say who it's with yet? Or? Not yet. Um, well, that, that'll be cool. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, uh, what I like to do is kind of go through some of the credits that we didn't get to talk about mm. as much and see if you can kind of pull out one big memory or story um, from, from Ooh, each one. Oh, it's like word association. Yeah. So uh, the first one is, uh, I think this was your, your TV debut, was doing stand-up on Conan uh, for the first time. What do you remember from, from that experience? Um, I remember being very, very, very nervous. I remember... Um, that a lot of people came, my friends came, my ex-wife was there, who was my wife at the time, so it makes sense that she was there, <laughs> and my son, and I remember that I spent more money in travel than I made on the show, um, and I mostly, I remember playing a lot of Super Mario Brothers on the Wii U, because that was in the green room, and I was trying not to be nervous and vomit on myself, <laughs> and then I remember doing a couple of jokes, and then hearing Conan laugh from the side, and then that, it made my heart kind Kind of like jump, and, and that it will. I just remember it being done, and them just being like, "Yeah, you, you, we'll have you back." And and yeah, great memory. I still like. I don't keep a lot of things, but I still have the um the little nameplate from that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um. So another early credit that you had uh, was writing on the Eric Andre show, which I just feel like must have been a kind of crazy uh, environment. It was crazy. <laughs> I from that I remember watching a lot of internet videos of people dying, and I was like, <laughs> I don't like this. That sounds dark. I know Eric, weird guy. Yeah. But it was really fun. Um, and I learned a lot from him as far as like he really made sure that um, he he asked for a lot of help. He asked for a lot of help from people who he respected, and he didn't care if you were there for a week or a day or a month, or um, and he didn't care if your ideas were completely different because you know a lot of the things like I would propose were like very nonviolent versions of the of him, you know, destroying the set and stuff <laughs> like that. And he was always listening, and he did a couple of my ideas and. Um, so I really just learned a lot from him as far as like being professional and being like that it takes a village and man, he's just like, he's one of my favorite people. He's one of the nicest, just really nice human beings in comedy. Was there any uh, specific uh, piece that you worked on on that show that stands out when you think about it? No, not really. I was not that good there. <laughs> um, but I did, I, I w did introduce him to some rappers that he put on the show that he did not know about at oh, the nice. time because they were rapping about him and I was like you gotta fucking listen to this so he didn't know about Action Bronson or Currency um, and then he ended up having I think both of them on the show so um, I, I, that's my legacy there <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the next one uh, is doing the the multicam sitcom thing on uh, Undateable, yeah, which you did for a while, and I think was was a big was a big deal. I'm sure when you when you got that gig. So what what do you what do you think about when you when you think about that experience? Um, just how new and fresh everything was. How scared I was. Um, that was the beginning of my weight loss thing because Bill Lawrence, who create who was one of the co creators of that show. 
he was really helpful for me and he was the guy who introduced me to my trainer and he paid for my trainer for the first six oh, months wow. and which was really cool because even like in the description of the character is supposed to be of this fat guy and he's just like man he's like he's like you're funny you can do this role however you want but it seems like you've been trying to lose weight i saw you like i, I had lost like 30 pounds and then i came back and had gained that 30 pounds plus another 10 and so he was like it seemed like you're trying but you're not it's not sticking and so i'll introduce you to your trainer this trainer and i've been with him for two and a half years now and um just the further I get away from it, the more I'm like, oh, that was a really, really special time. He really trusted us a lot to uh, come up with our own jokes and trusted our comedic sensibilities, um, which was really set me up for failure with a lot of shows later because I was like, okay, I'm going to do this joke. And they're like, stick to the script. <laughs> Um, what do you, uh, you were, you were kind of an, uh, all-star on At Midnight, which you mentioned is kind of part of the inspiration for your new show. Um, what were, what, what did you love about, uh, about being on, on that show? Um, I love so many things about being on that show. I love that I got to be on there with other comedians. Again, that I got to showcase my brand of humor without just being like, here's my jokes, here's my material. People got to get to know me and know what I was about without, without any of that, Chris is such a good host and, and, and just really a good listener when it comes to like showcasing people and very, very giving in that way. And um, I got to do the show with my mom, you know, my, my mom was on television with me for Mother's Day and we did it and we won. And like, that's one of my biggest memories was that not only that we did it and we won, it was the fact that my mom got to that was the first time she really got to see the work behind mm -hmm. just joking and, yeah. and being funny. She got to see me writing and rewriting and we did a sketch together and she let me direct her and she did, did and she was just like, you you know what you're doing so I'm just going to do whatever you say. And then we did her sketch and she got such a big laugh and then seeing the look on her face of being like, oh yeah, okay, it worked, you know? And then her, and then I could really just see the lights all go off in her head of being like, oh, you're good at this and you you work hard at this and and i could see how proud she was of me and so that's probably my biggest memory from from at midnight and then the last one uh is acting opposite larry david on curb your enthusiasm which i know is something you were very excited to uh to book yeah super excited i was working on another show at the time called powerless and they were like we might need you and i was like well i might have to quit this show <laughs> because i have to go do curb your enthusiasm it was like my back when everybody had the little midi ringtones that was my ringtone mm. was for the for that show and it was um it's just really cool just sit there and watch him and improvise with him and and really just um I had done another improvised show before that, and I really felt that I had kind of dropped the ball and, and, and let my fear get the best of me. And I had told myself, I had told myself before I went up there, I go like, well, no matter what, if you do too much, that's fine. Just really, really go out there and push it and make a meal of it. And we did this first take together, me, me and, and Larry. And then at the end of the take, he goes, huh. You really made a meal out of that. And I was like, well, fuck yeah, I nailed it. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> and it was so cool. And, you know, and even when they when it put it, they put it out, it was all cut back down to just a couple lines. But I knew I did a good job because they they put the extended scene as like a deleted scene that they put online. Oh, and nice. I was like, that really was like, oh, OK, I did a 
you know, they didn't they didn't need it for the story. I, I understand that, but clearly I did a good job because they were like, fuck, this is funny, let's put it out, you know? Have you never ridden a bus before? No, I have, but not in Los Angeles. Okay. I mean, the rules are pretty much the same yeah. all over the country, but. All right, so yeah, you'll tell me where La Cienic is. I'm not your babysitter. Figure it out. This bus is a very cold, unforgiving place. I don't like it one bit. Why are you on a bus? Well, it's a long story. Suffice it to say, sex is involved, and uh, let's let's leave it at that. That's awesome. Um, and finally, uh, what is the what's the last thing that that made you laugh really hard? Whether it's a, a TV show or a movie. I mean, you have you have such an iconic laugh as we've heard uh, <laughs> over and over again. Um, what what's what's something that 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 really made you laugh recently? What really made me laugh? I mean, I laugh all the time. It's probably something my girlfriend did because she always say something super silly. She told me about how when she was growing up, she thought that the um, the uh, boogeyman was mm-hmm. the boogeyman. <laughs> that she thought that's how you said. It. She said she just thought it was a monster that likes to dance. <laughs> <laughs> that really made me laugh for some reason. Um, and then um, oh, best selling. I saw a set of hers, and that that really made me. That really made me laugh. Um, and I love watching my friends when they bomb at comedy. Like. <laughs> That, because I already think they're funny. So when I watch a whole room disagree, that makes me laugh yeah. so much. <laughs> That's fun. You get to watch the looks on their face. Ugh, Ew. <laughs> it's the best. I love it. Those are things that make me laugh. Nice. Well, thank you, Ron, so much for uh, for coming out today. This was a uh, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had a great time. It was a good conversation. I didn't even. I only made it through like a little bit of my sandwich. Yeah, we, oh, you can finish now. We'll let you. Uh, we'll let you eat. <laughs> <laughs> thank All you. right. Thank you so much to Ron Funches for being my guest on today's show. You can download his hour special Giggle Fit on iTunes, Amazon, and everywhere else besides Netflix that you get content. And please check out his podcast, Getting Better, as well. If you enjoy this show, please, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It is produced by Jason Smith for Starburns Audio and Scott Porch for Himalaya Media. And our engineer is Mackenzie Mazel. Our music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at Claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.